Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Hartman of the Center for Strategic Giving at the Capital Research Center to debunk the myth that conservative nonprofit journalism has more resources than left-wing nonprofit journalism. This is the Influence Watch podcast. You've heard the story. Rich right-wingers create giant, tax-free money farms for nefarious right-wing interests to harvest for all time, thereby rigging American politics and ensuring decades of, quote, minority rule, probably through gerrymandering or something related to the Citizens United Supreme Court decision. It's all a myth, and thanks to our guest today, we have more evidence than ever that it's false. We're joined by our Capital Research Center colleague, Michael Hartman, a longtime professional in the world of conservative philanthropy, who now runs Capital Research Center's Center for Strategic Giving. He co-authored a study, assisted by my regular fellow panelist, Mike Watson, examining the scale of conservative versus left-wing charitable nonprofit advocacy, and they reached a stark finding. The left outspent the right by over three to one. Now, another analysis just out, focusing on ideological media outlets that receive foundation funding, has just found the same three-to-one ratio favoring the left. And the study even counted liberal news and cultural magazines like Harper's and The Atlantic as not really being ideological. Uh, it's time to debunk one of the media's favorite myths and show that the real financial power supports left-wing media and left-wing institutions not conservative ones. Uh, okay, Mike, well, we're, it's great to have you here, and I should explain to our listeners that Mike Watson, uh, at the last minute, had to jump out of our podcast for the infinitely more important duty of being a dad, which any minute now uh, he will officially be. So we wish him uh, and all his family, uh, including its newest member, the very best, do you think uh, this child's going to have to watch this podcast someday, knowing uh, it was his or her birthday? Well, punishment is very important uh, in bringing up kids. Yeah, I, I, as, as a father of four, I will say, so <clears throat> So probably, probably. Uh, well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and the Center for Strategic Philanthropy <clears throat> Giving? So by the good graces of the uh, Capital Research Center institutionally and Scott Walter uh, individually, I'm a senior fellow at CRC and direct... Uh, something called the Center for Strategic Giving there. Uh, CRC, of course, is headquartered in D.C. I work from Milwaukee, uh, where for uh, almost two decades I was with the Lyndon and Harry Bradley Foundation, uh, so I have a philanthropic uh, background. Uh, and from uh, the Center for Strategic Giving, uh, I'm able to uh, try to contribute uh, in a helpful way to public discourse surrounding philanthropy uh, and giving. Yeah, we, there are a lot of controversies like the one that we're talking about today, for instance. Correct. And there's an increasing uh, amount of attention being brought to bear on this kind of giving, all kinds of giving, in, including what we'll talk about today. Uh, we try to foster dialogue among all sides of uh, many issues, if not all issues. We're getting to them, perhaps slowly, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, and it's also the case that we uh, are in a position to offer counsel to those who might request it to, in terms of evaluating strategic uh, grant yeah, to donors, that is. So you, you, donors will come from time to time and ask for advice and assistance. Exactly right. And we're able to do so discreetly uh, for them and with them. Yeah. Well, folks who want to read more of your work can go to capitalresearch.org, our main website. 
But our good friends at philanthropydaily.com also feature a lot of your good work. In fact, that's where the most interesting conversations inside the philanthropy world tend to happen, is at philanthropydaily.com. Well, uh, let's start today with this new study. I've lost track of how many studies at this point have found essentially the same enormous imbalance of the much richer left versus the much poorer right uh, in various types of nonprofit advocacy. But um, the latest one comes from the Shorenstein Center for Media Politics and Public Policy. And it, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, the Shorenstein Center uh, up there at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University in cooperation with Northeastern University's School of Journalism released a pretty major study of foundation funding of nonprofit journalism overall uh, in June. The study's called Funding the News. You can easily access it on the Shorenstein Center website. It's very thorough, quite well done, actually. Uh, and deserving of much discussion and uh, potential follow-up research, I think, including by them and others, maybe including uh, CRC and the Center for Strategic Giving. And uh, it had one key finding, didn't it? Well, one finding that we thought was key mm -hmm. uh, in, in the uh, magazine, area of magazines in particular and uh, ideologically categorizable magazines, which is uh, something they felt they could easily do and did do. Uh, overall, the team of researchers up there analyzed 32,000-plus foundation grants from 2010 to 2015. So it's a pretty big Half chunk of Half a decade. Data. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, even really six years, I guess. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Right. Oh, inclusive. Excuse me. So collectively, these grants totaled $1.8 billion. Money, of course, is all relative, but I think we can agree that's a lot of money. Uh, of this, about $80 million, or a little more than $80 million, uh, went to magazines in particular. So that's about 5% of the total to nonprofit journalism overall. Uh, and journalism, as we know, is increasingly nonprofit uh, given the economic challenges facing the industry. I look forward to the day when the New York Times has to run a little telethon to try to raise money for itself. Right. Yes. Okay. Are you going to call in? No, no, but I'd still okay. look forward to the day. What network would that be on, do you think? <laughs> Their own, probably. Their own, right, yes. Exactly. All right, so of the $80 million that went to magazines, about 29.3 went to uh, what I'm here now calling ideologically categorizable magazines. The rest went to what were considered general interest magazines, which did include Harper's, for the most part there, and The Atlantic, uh, which, which some is might a little consider odd liberal. Exactly. They're, they're both quite left of center and... Uh, let's not forget just very recently Kevin Williamson, who had been with National Review uh, and was hired by The Atlantic to give it a little balance, was almost instantly unhired and ignominiously fired for the high crime and misdemeanor of, of quote, being pro-life and meaning it. Right. Uh, and yet that magazine, which couldn't bear to have him join its large ranks as even the slight leavening, uh, is counted in this study as not being ideological at all. So Exactly. And which is then, to say that the, the, it's three to one is underestimating all That's this. exactly right. And in fact, uh, some of the more study that would be uh, warranted, I think, would be to look at all of nonprofit journalism to see what whether that would maybe be categorizable in a fair way uh, in certain ways. Uh, well, can you give us an example of a, a few of the magazines they did consider left or right yes. so people have a clear idea what yes. we're talking about here? So of the 29.3 over that six years that went to ideologically categorizable magazines, uh, nine of those magazines were liberal, considered liberal, are liberal. 
and five were considered conservative. We can see if Scott subscribes to the, uh, the nine magazines uh, considered liberal, which got uh, 22.8 million of the uh, of the 29.3, so about 78 percent overall, on more than three and a half to one advantage over what the conservative magazines got, which was 6.5 million. Uh, so here are the liberal magazines that were in uh, the top 25 of all magazines, and you know, uh, outspending or out uh, raising money, uh, raising more money than the conservative ones. The liberal magazines are Mother Jones. The Nation, and I'm giving these to you now in order uh, of their funding. Mother Jones was at the top of the list. The Nation, The American Prospect, uh, Washington Monthly, uh, Yes Magazine, Yes Exclamation Point Magazine, Boston Review, uh, The Progressive out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Democracy uh, Journal, uh, and In These Times. Uh, the five conservative magazines or journals were uh, The New Criterion, I'm looking at Scott because I know he subscribes to that one, or maybe you just read it online. Uh, commentary, American Spectator, The American Spectator, Reason Magazine, and National Review, fifth on the list, might be uh, something about which people are surprised. Now, you know, we could probably, if we worked on it, come up with more liberal magazines than those listed. I know we could come up with more conservative magazines that did not make the list. It's not as if there's a shortage of, of magazines that would... Uh, take grants or apply for grants, that are applying for grants. Uh, and those would include, just, just to list some of them there, we'll see how many of these to which you subscribe, uh, American Affairs, though in fairness that uh, would not have existed during the studied period uh, here, the, the Shorenstein Northeastern studied period. The American Conservative, uh, City Journal, Claremont Review of Books, First Things, Modern Age, National Affairs, The New Atlantist, Public Discourse, uh, and that is a non-exhaustive list. Uh, and there are, of course, even other magazines that are for-profit but don't make a lot of money. The old uh, not non-profit, for-profit uh, entities, which yes, is well, not uncommon in several contexts. Well, we we should and we should explain that uh, because these journals tend to be uh, advocates for ideologies, uh, that means they're sometimes advocates for for and against particular candidates. And so uh, it is sometimes the case that to uh, be safe under the various laws governing uh, nonprofits and politics, they create themselves as legally a for-profit entity so that they're allowed to endorse candidates without any problem, and yet at the same time, they um, uh, they never make profit, they never dream of making a profit. Uh, uh, virtually no opinion magazines in American history have ever made profits. Um, so people are not in this for the money, whatever else they're in it for. Now, uh, I should add, though, of course, I suppose on that, and because I'm, and ask you about whether the study took any account of this. It is, it is the case as well that sometimes there are for-profit entities set up to be magazines, whether in electrons or on dead trees, and uh, they will have, however, a little adjunct. Uh, 501c3 nonprofit that can get money from foundations because this is we were saying this is looking at foundation giving. Um, the I believe the very first one that ever managed this scheme was the Huffington Post, which of course is left of center, uh, and they created an investigative journalism fund or something like that. Was the I forget the precise title, and it gets money from foundations and it. Uh, 
pays some Huffington Poe staffers to do work. And it's the laws on this is all tricky. You have to essentially be giving away that product for free uh, so that it really is a nonprofit thing. Um, now there are other uh, places that do things like that. The Daily Caller, which uh, is a for-profit entity established originally by Tucker Carlson. Uh, it has the Daily Caller uh, News, News Foundation. Foundation, for instance, uh, which is a C3 and receives C3 money and, and provides its content for free. Um, to everybody. It, it's, it's a public education for everybody. You will see at the end of their articles. Yes. Anybody can use this if you credit us. This is an yes. increasingly common tactic and probably a healthy one. I mean, it, it is uh, Well, given that if, if you think that it's good to have journalism, yeah. uh, and journalism is, is uh, barely holding on with its fingernails uh, in most places, uh, this is gets us more journalism. And if you're a free speech supporter, you even have the crazy idea that it's more speech is good. Yes. It's good to have more speech. That's very uh, dated. That's yeah. Well, it's the, not the young watcher will not know what you're talking about well, when he watches this podcast. And it is yes. Well, sadly, yes. Uh, although maybe Daddy won't let him go to one of those <laughs> institutions of higher learning. Okay. But uh, on college campuses, the notion that speech should be free and that more of it would be better is definitely a rare, uh, perhaps extreme, perhaps dangerous to hold view. Um, well. Um, uh, what are some of the cr critiques of this study? Because the studies that the Shorenstein Center is not some right-wing joint that did this by any means. So obviously there's been some wailing and gnashing of teeth at this embarrassing uh, finding that the left overwhelms the right in that dirty thing called money. So in, in the area of journalism. So what are some of the critiques that uh, lefties have tried to make of the study? Oh, well, uh, it is the case that righties who are in development uh, positions at magazines are going to be using this to try to help to point out the uh, distinction, the differentiation in funding levels among uh, them, the groups for which they work, and, and the liberal foundations. Uh, and, and there have been critiques among those on the right, uh, not unlike the ones we were making reference to before. Wait a minute, this is all liberal. Uh, not unlike the way the right would say of higher education, you know, come on, don't count just the money going to right-wing think tanks. All of higher education in America is uh, uh, on the other side. Uh, I don't know that there's much liberal critique of the Shorenstein study. Uh, they they well, want to urge more is, support. There, is, there was one criticism which was complaining that they didn't take into account non-foundation funding oh, okay. for, for conservative journals and the rest. And and there is an, uh, a, a nominal bit of, you know, occasionally a conservative businessman, uh, his company may take an ad out. Uh, yes, and okay. Ad and that is, out. I mean, that is true. They would say, look, we didn't oversell it. We're just uh, toting up the, the, the grants. Uh, yes. One could perhaps also note that uh, if I were, you know, a liberal might say, look, talk radio, <clears throat> whether that's on whatever station, for-profit or non-profit, uh, is a not uh, powerless institution in America. Uh, but there's no shortage of, of coverage of that particular issue, and hopefully there will be more. But, uh, you know, talk well, radio is probably... Uh, has done well by by conservatives. Uh, well, over and, the well, and and so has Fox News <coughs> on cable. But of course, in both those cases, that's in that strange little animal called in the free market. So, uh, if nobody wanted to listen to Rush Limbaugh this afternoon, 
And it wouldn't be long before Rush Limbaugh was off the air. But in fact, millions of people want to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and lots of advertising gets sold. And it gets sold even though, of course, there have been various left-wing plots to try to hurt the advertisers uh, of conservative radio shows, the Hush Rush movement, it was called. Now, it lost a lot of steam when it was discovered that it was about a dozen guys living in mommy's basement creating hundreds of fake Twitter accounts and email accounts and writing to stores in Poughkeepsie saying, we're never going to buy hardware at your hardware store again if you advertise on Rush. And then Rush's people explaining that, well, actually, that guy lives in mommy's basement in San Rafael, California, so he probably wasn't buying a lot of hardware in Poughkeepsie. But um, yes, so there is that. They, now, there's the, new th the, the, the newer thing, which has been controversial lately, is the so-called Sleeping Giants group, uh, sort of a hacktivist group that has worked very hard. It started with Breitbart, but intends to expand other uh, conservative outlets, um, trying to force digital advertisers off of those sites. Um, and that's had some very significant success. I know the, the numbers for Breitbart's um, advertising went way down, and I don't know about the numbers for some of the other places they've started to target. I can read about this group on Influence Watch? You certainly can. Right, okay. Uh, and, um, uh, but this, this bigger issue we want to get into of broadening the scope here, this latest study is focusing narrowly on uh, highbrow nonprofit journalism, but you and Mike Watson, our usual co-host here, um, you have done a study this past year of the broader political giving for advocacy. Talk to us about that. Yeah, the three, to, the more than three to one uh, advantage in nonprofit funding for liberals was not a surprise to us at CRC. Uh, nor anybody who consumes the CRC work product, either online or, or in paper. Uh, earlier this year, the study that Mike Watson uh, and I did uh, looked at different funding flows, one of which was uh, support for nonprofit, traditional nonprofit groups, I'll call them, categorized under 50, the Section 501c3 by the IRS, uh, that are policy-oriented, uh, a lot of which is advocacy. And we just took a snapshot because uh, it takes a lot of time to tote these numbers up. And we picked 2014 because that was the uh, a year equidistant in time from another year that we picked before the Citizens United decision, yeah. which is what we were trying to analyze. So, but it, so Citizens United's 2010. <laughs> you looked at, at nonprofit advocacy funding for 2014, four years after, and 20. Uh, Oh, 2006, 2006, exactly. Four years before the Citizens United decision, because the Citizens United decision in 2010 by the Supreme Court uh, is one of the biggest of all the bete noir of the left. Um, the I, I like to say that the, the left hates uh, Citizens United more than pro-lifers hate Roe v. Wade. Um, and we constantly hear that Citizens United has completely changed American politics and grossly... T uh, uh, twisted the playing field in, in politics to the right's advantage and the rest. And what I loved about your study is that you looked at that nonprofit, you, you basically looked at three rivers of money into politics, into trying to influence public policy, broadly speaking. And the, the first river uh, was the hard political giving that, you know, to parties, to candidates, that sort of thing. The second river was 
uh, you could call it the Citizens United River. It was the independent spending um, through things like C4s and, and similar vehicles or dark, dark money is sometimes called, After. although it's complicated because some of them actually do reveal their money funding. But the, 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 that, was, that middle river of the three, that was actually affected by Citizens United. That it, it let unions and corporations, including nonprofit corporations, um, make unlimited independent expenditures as long as they didn't coordinate with the candidates. And then the third river you looked at, which is what's appropriate here, is essentially foundations on the left and the right giving to policy-oriented nonprofits. You didn't count. If they gave it to the ballet, you didn't count it. You counted it if they gave it to uh, groups advocating, say, for school choice or advocating um, for increased immigration or uh, def or uh, Ethnic groups, uh, ethnic advocacy groups, and things like that. Think tanks would be in there, you know. The magazines, like the magazines are in there. The magazines, uh, yep. So you know, I had thought that maybe uh, after consuming all of this information, including from some liberal, maybe nonprofit journalism sources, that the, I thought maybe Citizens United had an effect on on that flow as well. And we tried to see if we could maybe gain an insight uh, on that by. P picking one year pre, one year post. In the year post, 2014, uh, one when you toted up on the basis of what was toted up, cannot really conclude that Citizens United was uh, supplant support to Citizens United groups to uh, outside political groups uh, was supplanting support for these types of uh, nonprofit organizations, traditional nonprofit organizations. And in fact, uh, the amount of money was at about a 3.4 to 1 ratio, liberal to conservative, in that flow as well for that year in the way that we counted it, uh, which you can get into in the report. I don't know if we want to get into that. Yeah, I well, the, 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 the full report is online. So anybody who wants to recrunch your numbers uh, can go in and look at all the numbers. There's spreadsheets that show it all. Um, but the, there's a couple of things. So on the three rivers, you, ha on, you have that hard political giving and the, the liberals and Dems have an advantage in that river. Then you have the Citizens United River, essentially the independent expenditure groups. In that one, the Republicans did take the lead after Citizens United. And then in the uh, nonprofit river, uh, that remains this huge advantage to the left. Now, the other thing that matters is not just that two of those rivers have a left-wing advantage over a right-wing. But what matters as well is that the right-wing river, the Citizens United River that the left obsesses over, is by far the smallest river. Uh, and, the, and there's a powerful reasons for that. The biggest ones are almost certainly the fact that if you really want to get somebody elected president or you really want to get a public policy change through, you are probably better off in the other giving in the other rivers. That's not the Citizens United River is not really a terribly powerful way to affect public policy or get people elected or unelected. As um, some might think, 2016 helped prove. Yes, exactly. In that there wasn't a, a, a Citizens United or Super PAC investment in the guy who ended up being the winner. For, for uh, now, next yes. time, I mean, you know, the, the next time maybe, but. Uh, one cannot say that President Trump is a result of Citizens United. Citizens United. No, no. Well, and of course, the other thing one can't say is if the, for the last three cycles, at least uh, the biannual electoral cycles in America, the largest donor in the whole thing didn't get who he wanted. So, right. Uh, so obviously, it isn't 
just Americans are not so stupid as easily to be bought. Um, but it, it, it does drive me crazy, this ignoring the relative size of things. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Jane Meyer, um, one of the least honest journalists in America, I think it's fair to say, uh, famous for her uh, most recent book, Dark Money, uh, that's the hidden, the secret history of uh, the billionaires behind the rise of the radical right, to give his, his subtitle. Um, uh, first of all, she totally ignored the most important givers in 2016, which was the Mercer family. I think there's one reference maybe in the they book to it. They would be an exception. I mean, right, so, yeah. so she was certainly not a brilliant prophetess uh, in the first place, and the book is filled with errors and, and uh, dishonesties. But um, is this you can a, go to our is, website. Yeah, is this on Influence Watch? Capital, no, it's oh, not on it, okay. Influence Watch, but capitalresearch.org and search for Jane Meyer, M-A-Y-E-R. You'll, you'll find a long and, and, and detailed review of the errors and falsehoods. But, um, but uh, before she did that book, she attacked uh, some fr uh, friends of ours, uh, in, and yes, a donor to Capital Research Center, uh, Art Pope and his foundation in North Carolina. And she stressed that uh, she claimed he was associated with some of the independent expenditures in North Carolina, which to some degree he was, not as much as she implied, but to some degree. And in that independent expenditure little river in the state of North Carolina in, gosh, was this 2012 maybe or 2010? I know 2010, I think, 2010 election. Um, she uh, said three quarters of the independent expenditures were for the Republicans and the conservatives. And when Rachel Maddow had Ms. Meyer on her show, she screeched this over and over, three quarters of the outside money. Well, all of the outside money was $2 million. And the total money spent in the election was 30 million or so. So three quarters of the 2 million was probably not more important, the most important thing in the 30 million. Oh, and by the way, when you counted the whole 30 million, 16 of it was for Dems and left. Mm -hmm. So in the actual spending in the election, the Democrats outspent the Republicans and lost, but all they could do is screech and scream about three quarters of the $2 million independent Small expenditure. Small river, right. So that's, this sort of thing, Come, I, I, I go back a few years for this just because it comes up over and over and over again. Oh, and I believe in the dark money book, she just took that, that thoroughly dishonest, ridiculous, essay she had done and shoved it in as a chapter on North Carolina. Uh, recycling, you know, is, is good for the earth. Uh, yeah. um, but uh, anyway. So the three to one uh, advantage uh, was also the, the underlying data for a report from the Manhattan Institute last year had the same sort of ratio. Uh, and what was the Manhattan Institute report? The said? Manhattan Institute report actually was uh, on whether foundations should spend out. Uh, or sunset would be a term of art in sort of the, the trade. Uh, so it was comparing which liberal and which conservative foundations have decided to spend the seed corn. Uh, and there might have been a suggestion at the end that since conservatives were not uh, one as big or two spending out as fast, that they, there should be a reconsideration of that uh, in some instances. But, uh, but the ratio they found in 2014 uh, from their underlying data was the same, about the same, 3.3 to 1 uh, spending advantage in spending by 28 top liberal foundations uh, and 24, I think, top conservative foundations. 
and you know, so there's subjectivity in picking those foundations maybe, but I mean, I believe they did so fairly and you can check out that report as well. They relied on the, the right guide and the left guide, uh, which are uh, directories of these sorts of things to come up with their list uh, with some minor adjustments, but same ratio is my point in this space. Sure, and again, to give perspective here, you talked about how they picked a bunch of foundations on the left, a bunch on the right, but let's take one second, uh, shall we, to look at the Foundation Center, which is a, a nonprofit, a genuinely nonpartisan, nonprofit uh, centrist entity that simply studies foundations, uh, and they give you a list of the, they're, they're famous for their list of the largest foundations in America. And of the top five foundations, by, by counted by total giving, you have, uh, the Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Atlantic Philanthropies, Ford, Susan Thompson Buffett, and Foundation to Promote Open Society, i.e. George Soros. Those are the five largest in America, and all five of them are left of center, the Gates being sort of mid middling left of center, and the rest being uh, far left. Atlantic, Ford, Susan Thompson Buffett, and Soros, very, very left. And then, gosh, if we look at the top 10, we find that eight are flat out lefts. Uh, you add three more to those first five, uh, Hewlett, um, uh, Robert Wood Johnson, and W.K. Kellogg. And then the final two in the top 10 are Lilly Endowment and Walton Family Foundation. That'd be the Sam Walton of uh, Walmart. Those, those two are really corporate centrist at best. So there's not, even in the entire top 10, there's not a single, uh, Soros equivalent, Ford Foundation equivalent, nothing like that. Um, the so, Shorenstein team relied on the Foundation Center, uh, on Foundation Center cooperation as well for its data. Just a note. Sure. So, so what? Sh what? Sh if you're a conservative giver, Scott, what should you do? Well, that's you're the you're the <laughs> one who advises our donor friends. What would you say? Uh, uh, do you should you just give up on? Uh, on journalism or yeah. not? So let's talk about the magazines in particular uh, and the options to consider here for conservative givers uh, would be not dissimilar from the ones in all the other contexts uh, regarding everything we've been talking about with the larger numbers uh, as well. But okay, uh, let's boil them down to four things to talk about, to think about or talk about. You could double down on your giving uh, and go into the seed corn as has been recommended by some or uh, urged. Uh, by some. If you think this is important, that's probably something you should consider doing. Uh, sp spend the money. Why wait? If we're yeah. in a revolutionary time and we're back on our heels as, as, as much as uh, is shown here numerically, uh, as well as by other things, then 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 double down. Spend more uh, of your own money. Uh, that's one. Number two uh, would be to see if you can garner further support from uh, like-minded allies, uh, either existing or would be. Uh, and this has always been done by in this case the magazines or the nonprofit groups in general uh, because they have development people who need to help raise money to pay the light bill. But it is increasingly being done by givers themselves, institutionally or individually, to look for uh, others who are also of means or in a position to help financially uh, to, to pony up with them and, and help uh, support the same groups, in this case the magazines. Uh, number three, would be to, I'll say, continue to try doing more with less, which is what conservatives have been doing with great success, I think, overall, actually, over the years. Uh, you can think back to previous periods where while we don't have the numbers, it might be the case that uh, that if we did, it would show the same thing. You know, the, the conservatism during the Reagan era benefited from 
in intellectual infrastructure that included magazines and journals, maybe not as nonprofit at the time, but certainly on its way there. Uh, and, and, you know, they achieved success. It is the case that conservatism, I would say, I think the country benefited from that kind of support to those kinds of entities as well as others. So more was done with less then. Why not continue to try doing so now? Well, and I, I, as somebody who has a lot of Marine friends, uh, my Marine friends love to point out that the Marine Corps is by far the smallest uh, uh, service branch, and, uh, and yet being lean and mean uh, has never kept them from being highly effective. In fact, uh, you know, the average conservative magazine, if you tripled its budget with a money bomb, uh, it probably wouldn't get, it certainly wouldn't be three times as good as it was. So. And by the way, you're a Marine, we should point out. Scott Walter is a Marine here. He was uh, working at those no, magazines, no. including at that time, I assume. Oh, well, I, I'm a Marine. I'm going biographical. Oh, yeah, no, I'm metaphorically. You're a metaphorical Marine. Yes. A metaphorical magazine Marine. A magazine Marine, not, right. not a true Marine. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not, no, no, not, I didn't. Not close enough to being that good. Well, I thought it would have been clear. Right, okay, but right. And uh, the American Enterprise was a magazine of some yep. import. Uh, and might still exist online, or is it, it does still exist right. online? Although they I, they've changed the name slightly, I think. But yeah. no, it was the launching the the editor in chief. Uh, it was his launching pad to becoming uh, the chief domestic policy advisor for George W. Bush. So Crisis Magazine as well was in it's, it's there in your experience and yep. still exists mm -hmm. on in electrons. Yeah, right. A fourth option that it would be irresponsible not to consider uh, in a painful discussion like this would be to just seed the field. Uh, this has been done in other contexts uh, in, in grant making. Uh, the advantage is so highly held by the other side that maybe we should uh, take our money and try to spend it elsewhere better. Uh, I think in this context of magazines, that would be a mistake. Uh, the opportunity costs would be larger uh, than those just incurred by the magazines. Uh, the result would be, I think, a, a weaker conservatism, uh, less anchored in ideas and principles, uh, the sorts of things about which the American enterprise, uh, among others at the time, was interested in, and with great benefit. Uh, there would be no internal or external challenge to ideas being kicked around, internal to, to one side or, or overall, you know, kicked around as an intramural matter within conservatism or between left and right, uh, uh, conservatism and liberalism. That's what's done in these magazines and entities like them. and there would have been maybe benefit uh, to the current state of conservatism had a little bit more of that been done. There certainly would be benefit, I think, now uh, to a large degree. Uh, as, as conservatism is in this state of uncertainty, it's no time to be going wobbly on support for uh, magazines and journals and, and the type of thought that's required to go into them uh, and the activity necessary to develop those ideas before they even make it to print or into the pixels. Uh, now, it's also possible to consider going outside the charitable sector entirely. Correct. Correct. If one was giving advice to someone who was in a position to pick whether to go charitable or not, you could say, if someone could, start a network uh, like Fox. Uh, it might be more likely for someone to consider starting a, a website, uh, as has been done. Uh, but yeah, you, know, you can try to be very entrepreneurial and create a whole, shake up the whole industry, including for-profit. That would be quite a Hail Mary pass, but some have thrown some and successfully, as we well know. Uh, yeah, well, Jeff so, Bezos, for instance, yeah. grabbed himself the Washington Post, which is in theory a for-profit. Exactly. And conservatives have made, reportedly, attempts to do this as well. Uh, not yet 
totally successfully, I don't think, but maybe someday soon. Yep. So that's not seeding the field either, but uh, it'd be external to the uh, grant-making context. But some people are in a position to be doing things outside of that context. That's right. Well, uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, and, of course, we want to give a shout-out to our usual co-host, Mike Watson, and his family again. Uh, we'll try to bring you news on that score next week. Uh, but that is our show for this week. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version of the podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. And you can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.